All right. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good? Hey. Good call. I definitely am not Sean. <laughs> yeah, let's get that out there. I... <laughs> no, it's good. No, Sean this morning, uh, he is hanging out with his uh, son that came into town, so they're having a nice time, and yesterday too, so he didn't have the time to study. So, I get to teach, which I'm excited about. You guys know I love teaching. And I mean, this first service, it's more like I feel like a Bible study with you guys. It's, it's us that have been together for a while, and it's good to see you guys. So looking forward to the study this morning. But before we get there, announcements. Uh, we still need children's ministry uh, helpers. So if you guys would like to go check that out, um, go see uh, the Welches, and they'll get you plugged into that. If you guys want to help back there, that'd be great. And then uh, don't forget that the young adults tonight are meeting at 5.30 here at the church, and there's uh, an awesome time. Uh, it's ages, let's see here, 18 to 27, all right? So if you guys know any young adults in town, get them over here. It's been really good. There's been about 20 of them coming, and uh, it's a really nice setting. And I can't remember. I don't want to say because it's not on here. I don't... Yeah, okay, it does say dinner. So there is food, which is a key factor in getting young adults to come. I remember I, I lived off of a Thursday night fellowship back in Durango. It was like the, the one dinner I got to eat during the week. <laughs> and I wasn't a big fan of spaghetti, but I was like, let me have it. This is good stuff. I remember the couple that used to do that for us. Awesome people, but that was a big thing in my life. I'm very thankful for it. So, um, yeah, and I think that Sean's the one that does the dinner. And you guys know that he doesn't like anybody to tread on his dinner times, but maybe in the future we can get in on that too and, and help him out in that ministry. So, I don't know, just something to think about. And uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much for the announcements. You guys know that there's men's studies and women's studies. I hope you guys are getting involved in those. Um, very key to us as a fellowship and as a body of believers uh, to be meeting outside of just Sundays. So uh, if you guys need more information, it's on there. Uh, Thursdays is a women's study at 1230 and also at 630 in the evening. And then the men's study, we have one at 7 on Thursdays at night here at the church. And the women's studies are here too. And then we have um, Friday in the morning at 730. So if you guys want to join us for that, it'd be awesome. And I think there's something else I was supposed to. Sean said, don't forget to announce this. I don't remember. <laughs> no, I think it was the young adult thing. Um, so let's go ahead and, and see what we're going to get into this morning for Scripture, and uh, we'll start heading that way. But uh, first, let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord just to would teach us this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much just for another day that we get to glorify you and just come before you and worship you. And as the time gets closer, Lord, I cannot wait to be with you. I cannot wait to be up in heaven and uh, just to be done with this flesh and um, be able to worship you in, in an absolute pure heart and a complete focus on you, Lord. We're thankful for these times that we get to go through as we learn more about you. Lord, I ask this this morning as we go through your scriptures that you would teach us, Lord, that you would help us to open our minds and and uh, to receive what you want to tell us and what you want to encourage us in. And, and uh, Lord, how we can be more like you and how we can obey you, uh, that we would bring you glory. And uh, Lord, that we would just stay on your paths and be excited about your work, Lord, and uh, keep focused on what we're supposed to be doing um, as far as loving others and loving you. And uh, Lord, we pray that you continue to put things in perspective for us as we listen to other things out there in the world that are not in perspective and very one-sided. Uh, Lord, that we would only be one-sided about you and your truth. And Lord, I just ask for a blessing in teaching this morning that you would just use me. And uh, yeah, we just pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, how many of you guys like new things? Oh, yeah? 
All right, news, news fun, isn't it? I mean, a new car, I've never had a brand new car, but I like getting them in a friend's new car because that smell. I mean, they even have the odorizers that you can put in there, so I try to do that on my old car. It doesn't work. <laughs> it's like old, new, funky smell. <laughs> it's hard to make those things. It doesn't really work. I, I, I like reconditioned things. They're, they're cool as long as it's an old car. Um, you know, but on Amazon, you can buy some different electronics and things. As soon as you see the, why the price is so low, you're like, oh, this is reconditioned. Never mind. Moving on. Because it's a used product, right? We like new. Uh, new is the thing. I mean, even out of an old car, I think I'd rather take a new old car if it was brand new right off of the line, right? Right, Ed? <laughs> it's got a beautiful old 57 Chevy. And uh, just getting to see some of the things, you know, those things, it, it, everything wears out in this world, doesn't it? It wears out. And so... It is fun to have new. It's nice to have new. And I would rather have new than something that's been reconditioned or something that's just been renewed, right? And I think it goes the same for what we're going to talk about this morning and uh, as we get into the scriptures. And there's a big difference between the two of them, you know, um, and just what we prefer. But I would have to say like, what we're going to talk about this morning is we're going to go through Revelations 21. Don't tell Sean I'm hijacking Revelation. <laughs> he might get a little upset about this, treading on his territory. I'm just kidding. He totally said I could. <laughs> I would not dare go into the book that he is teaching on. But he's excited to get into the next book that we're going to be going into in Psalms. And so he asked if I would uh, teach uh, Revelation, or he offered it up if I, if I wanted to. And I said, absolutely. I love chapter 21. It is one of the biggest, most exciting parts of Revelation. He took all the hard stuff, and I'm like, yes. I can't believe he's letting me have the easy one. Uh, so I'm excited to teach this. I'm glad I didn't get one of the harder ones. And uh, that's what we're going to be going through. But right in that very first verse there, if you guys want to read with me, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, it talks about the new. So it says, Now I saw in a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. All right, so right away, uh, John's going to go into describing what's going to come in the future what we have to look forward to. And this message this morning, I think, is our hope has arrived. And we've gone through Revelation, we've seen all this tragedy, this uh, uh, hurt, this pain, this sorrow, the, you know, um, of people having to go through it. And not just non-believers, you guys saw that the martyrs were a part of that at the very first part, and the things that they had to endure and, and deal with and overcome. And you go through all of this, uh, uh, the wrath being poured out from God that was so righteous, but it's like, wow, this is so... I guess the word would be heavy, right? Everything you're looking at is like, wow, this just weighs so much. And then you come to this part of Scripture, and it's like a, a breath of fresh air, this endurance that's gone on, and now here's the hope at the end. And so that's why I say the hope that's arrived. It hasn't arrived for us yet, but it, it definitely is for the future. And so um, looking at this new earth, and, and I know that when uh, Sean was going through some of the scriptures, um, he went through Romans last week, and he was talking about how the earth just is in pain. You know, it longs for that redemption, and we were talking about the millennial reign, and, and then it goes on and talks about the hope that we look forward to. And this is that hope. So out of this morning, what I hope you guys get from the message is that this is what we're hoping for. This is that salvation, that, that eternal life that we could be with the Savior and what he's prepared for us. And how exciting, because this is, if this is not motivating this morning and what we get to look forward to as far as your endurance and overcoming this world, um, I don't know what else could be. Uh, you guys got some tall orders then for the Lord, because I don't know how it can get any better than what we're going to look at this morning. Some people, though, what's sad is that they'll go and they'll say that I don't really believe that it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's actually cults out there, religions that say that, that this is not going to happen, that it's more of a, it's a new feeling, 
It's a, it's a new spiritual side. It's a new morality that's going to be there, but it's not actually a new heaven and a new earth. But clear back, if you guys want to turn with me, clear back in Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Verses 17 through 19. Clear back in here, the Lord has been telling his people that that's what's going to happen, that there's going to be a new heavens and earth. It says in 17, it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be even remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as rejoicing and her people as a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and my joy in, in joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. That's awesome. What a cool promise. And then over in 2 Peter, if you guys turn over there. And I know you guys are more familiar with this one, 2 Peter. This is one we'll usually turn to, and I have with people that believe that there is no new earth coming. This one's pretty, uh, it even describes what's going to happen, right, to the old. So in 2 Peter... Chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, it says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, like not just because some people say burned up, see, it's going to just be crispy and he's going to restore it. No, it's like, therefore, since all things will be dissolved, Done away with what matter of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Uh, it's pretty clear. It's done. And then even in Revelation, like what we just saw, John's describing that he sees a new heaven and a new earth and going through that. So with this new heaven and this new earth, too, you got to understand that some people are saying, well, this just means, like, what is this heaven it's talking about? You guys may have gone through this in studies in Genesis when it talks about the different heavens, and usually the Bible refers to three different types of heavens, right? So there's the heavens that are the sky, where the birds fly. You guys can look back in Genesis 1, it talks about that. Okay, so that's the first heaven. The second heaven would be the universe, the planets, the stars, all of that that we get to see outside of our atmosphere, that would be another heaven. And then there's the heaven where the throne of God resides. And so what this one is talking about, it's not saying that there's a new throne room, there's a new heaven like where God resides being made. No, it's the, the heavens like in plural. And it doesn't say here, it doesn't have the plural here, but it does in Isaiah and also in Psalms. If you guys are taking notes, Psalms 102, uh, 25 through 27 is another scripture that talks about what's to happen. I'm going to pluralize this there. And what it's talking about is the sky and the universe. So those things are going to change up. Um, and be completely new in what God has for us, which is amazing to me. Um, one thing, though, that I know that people have a complaint with is there's no sea, which this is, this is interesting to me. I like the beach. I don't like swimming at the beach. You get all crispy and nasty. I'd much rather give me a river. You know, you feel a lot better when you get out of those. <laughs> but we like beaches. I mean, even some of you guys may have the I like to fall asleep to the waves syndrome, Right? You got to get on YouTube or something and put that on there so you can sleep. Um, or if your your family's really loud in the middle of the day when you take a nap, guys, I'm just telling you, it's great. Put some headphones on, get the beach going, you're out. It's a good thing. <laughs> Why wouldn't we have that? It's interesting to me that we love it and we love the beauty that God has created in the in that, and we don't see it. Now I don't know if there won't be any beaches because it doesn't say there's not going to be any water. It talks about rivers being there, but there's no more sea, so it's just going to be covered in what he's going to cover it in. I mean, you're, let your imagination go, you know. It doesn't describe exactly what this new earth is going to look like, but 
it does say that there will be no more sea. Some commentators, it's interesting, I don't really, I, I don't know if I, I, I would go there. They say that the sea is a negative thing. Like they look at it as it blocked off the uh, Israelites from crossing it, right? God had to make a way for them through the sea. Um, that's where the beast comes out of in Revelation, right? Um, there's just negative, negative aspects. Every time it seems that Jesus was out on the Sea of Galilee, there was a storm that would come up or, or something would happen or they couldn't catch any fish there. So they would go back to all there's this negative connotations with the sea, but I don't know, God created it. You know, there's a lot of beautiful things in the ocean. There's a lot of neat things in the sea. So who knows? I don't know. I'm not going to go and speculate on it. It's not my place to be able to do that, right? Let's go ahead and let's read on uh, through 8. So it says in verse 2, it says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heavens from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these, things, or for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain, uh, fountain, yeah, of, the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now there's a lot to unpack there. I'm going to go through it. And as I was going through the notes, I'm like, man, I hope I can get through a lot of this stuff. Um, it's, it's so full what he's saying here, especially in this part. And then we're going to go into the next part, which is even more exciting to me, is describing that new Jerusalem that's coming down. But when we look at the scriptures and any of those times that it says the new, like we saw in verse uh, uh, 1, and then in, uh, let's see, where is it? Uh, make all things new. Can't find it all of a sudden. Five, thank you. In five, he says it again. And, and the word that's being used here is... Uh, Kaonos, uh, which is a Greek word, and that's another point to show that this is not a redone thing, that this is absolutely, everything's going to be absolutely brand new. It means new or fresh, and that's what he's going to be designing. That's what he's going to be doing, and I like in verse 5 because he says it's not just the heavens and the earth, but everything's going to be made new. I think it's interesting when we read in Isaiah where it said, and the things of old will not be remembered, right? Nor will they come to mind, which is very interesting to me, and we'll Later on, we're going to learn that how much of that is not going to come to mind because you're going to have the 12 tribes written on the gates of this new Jerusalem, and you're going to have the 12 apostles on the foundation, and that's stuff I would think of old. Don't really understand it, but I do think that if you were to look back on life and see it here, you'd be pretty depressed if you saw that there's people that didn't join you in heaven, and that would bring remorse. That would bring the crying, and I, I, I believe that a lot of that, we're just not going to remember any of it anymore. You know, that's, I think that's what Isaiah is cueing into. Um, it doesn't say it flat out, but it's hard for me to uh, make that up in my mind, like to know if, if somebody didn't come with me, my brother or whoever. And uh, yeah, it would be hard to enjoy my time with the Lord knowing that. So um, in verse 2, let's look at that. I like this one because this is where John, I, John has the hardest job, I think, here because he has to describe what he's seen. 
And it's unlike anything else he's ever seen before, right? So he's trying to give us the best picture he can. And so verse 2, he says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And now New Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven, so it's coming from God, right? It's not something established by man. It's not something that just happened by accident. It is purposeful. It's coming from God. And there's a key word that's used there. It says prepared. What is that? Some of you guys, there should be a little verse going off in your head that somewhere else that's been said. Do you guys remember in John, what Jesus said, John 14? In John 14, 1 through 4, that's when Jesus is saying, hey, I have to go away. That's when he's telling his disciples, I need to go on from here. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. This is that place, guys. Jesus was preparing the new Jerusalem for us. And we're going to get more into that, the details of that, because the whole rest of, the, of uh, 21 is all about the new Jerusalem, the glory. And we'll look into that. But just remember, it is what Jesus has prepared for us. It's what we get to inherit. It's our hope that we get to have. And then John, he relates it to what? He relates it to a bride being adorned for her husband. And I hope you guys got to experience uh, uh, some of the same things that I did. I was laughing because as I'm going through this, I'm like, man, I didn't really understand that how my whole uh, ceremony went and how much it goes along with what this was. We were not trying for that. We were very young. My wife and I were 21 and 19 when we got married. And when I was looking at this, I was like, oh, I wish I would have known about this scripture before. I would have been like, that would have been such a good picture to, to talk about. But me and my wife, we grew up across the street from each other in Colorado Springs, got to know each other. She knew what she was getting into with my family, which is a good thing if you know my family. It's a good thing to know, <laughs> right, Cindy? <laughs> um, so it was, it, was, it was a fun time. You know, I never was really attracted to her. Then all of a sudden, I was like, okay, she looks pretty. And we, we got together, and uh, we knew we were going to get married two weeks into dating. And this is when we were just young. But we knew the Lord spoke as clear as day to us. Knew it 100%. But we were very young, so we decided let's wait two years. And during these two years, let's go ahead and prepare ourselves for this marriage that we're going to have. You know, let's figure out how we argue. Let's figure out what we're going to do, what goals we have together. I mean, it was a fun time of preparation before we ever got married. So the build-up to our marriage was exciting. It was, I could not wait. You know, it wasn't a panic. It wasn't anything like, let's get this done. Kind of it was. But... (laughs) It was a fun time and getting there, and then I could not wait because I had heard from other people that time when you get to see the bride at the end of the aisle when she comes around that corner, that door, or whatever, and you're like, wow, I get to marry that. I get to marry her, that beautiful creation, and we get to be forever together. And it was really cool because we, we had our marriage at the NBC Suites in Colorado Springs and that uh, you know, the place where they have all the plants and all this stuff. And my wife, actually, she descended out of an elevator that was gold. Well, it was brass. They don't do gold. <laughs> Closest thing we can come to gold, you know, a golden elevator. But I remember it was fun because what they did is all the brides, you know, it was all windows, so all the uh, bridesmaids, they, they went around the glass so that you couldn't see the glory of my bride yet, you know. And it was just a fun time. I was anticipating. I couldn't wait. It was exciting. My mom way over invited too many people. Me and my wife were like, let's do 50 people. That'd be a sweet wedding, you know? Let's just have a little chapel. My mom got involved. That was all over. My parents know everybody in the world. So we had like 350 people plus show up to our wedding. I mean, I was, it, was, it was pretty embarrassing because one of those times where your mom is like, hey, you remember these people? I'm like, no, I have no idea. Oh, they changed your diaper. I'm like, <laughs> I'm glad you came to my wedding. I have no idea who you are. 
it was funny, but it was this time of coming together because there were so many people happy for my parents that, you know, their oldest son was going to get married. And then you have my wife descend, and then it was kind of funny because as they're descending, then somebody else hit the button, and they stopped halfway down. <laughs> and there's these kids all in these pool gear, like, ready to get into the elevator. <laughs> and they're like, oh, man. <laughs> so they, they let them keep coming, but it was pretty funny because the music's going, and it's just like, Shh. and everybody's turning around like, what happened? So anyway, she descends, and then I get to see my, my, my bride. And it was an exciting time, guys. It was that revealing. It was like, wow, that's, that's my treasure. You know, I've been hoping for this for two years. It's awesome. I cannot wait to be united with her. And it was awesome. It was a beautiful thing. And if that was that beautiful here in this presence, and that was very personal to me, and I hope you guys are going to have the same personal experience or have had that. But, man, when we get to see the new Jerusalem, it's like... We, we get to have a connection with that. Like, we even get to be involved in that. That was, not only that, it was made for us. It was made for us to enjoy and to be a part of. How exciting to be able to look for the, that, that, that coming and, and getting to be a part of what he's prepared for us is that, that bride adorned for her husband. And then it goes on in verse 3, and it even gets deeper here. And I love what he says here. And some people will disagree with what I see in the scripture, but I, I think I have some scriptures to back up what, what I'm saying, and I hope you guys understand. In verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's very hard to describe Jesus in the flesh, isn't it? Fully God, fully man. It's a concept, of course, we don't understand because it's nothing else in this world to relate it with. So that's why it is very hard to describe it. But I think that this is a great way of God describing it. He, I believe he calls Jesus the tabernacle. He points to them as the tabernacle. Some people say, well, I, don't, I, don't th- I think it's just saying that there's this tabernacle that's going to come and then God's going to dwell with people. I believe that what it is is Jesus Christ being represented here, that he is the tabernacle. And some of the ways that I look at that and I see it is because, you know, even, even uh, with Jesus... You know, we meet with the Father, don't we, through Jesus Christ. Just as Moses met with God through the tabernacle when all that was set up. So there's this process you have to go through. And then if you guys, over in John chapter 2, verse 19, what does Jesus call himself? He says that he's the temple and in three days, you know, be destroyed, but he'll rebuild. He called himself the temple. So I think that's another place where you can look at it and see that and also... In John 1, it says that he, the word is going to become flesh and it's going to dwell among us. Now, that word dwell is to tabernacle among us, is what it's saying. It's a tabernacle, that dwelling. And then even when you guys go through, and I went through and, and I did not translate this. This is already translated, but from uh, Greek right over to English with this same verse, here's what it reads. And, it, it, you know, of course, it doesn't flow very well because they have to put other things in, but this is what it says um, in Greek. It says, And I heard a voice great from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God with men, and he will tabernacle with them, and they, peoples of him, will be, uh, and himself, God, with them, will be their God. A little confusing, but what it's talking about is that he's going to tabernacle because it also says dwell here. And so we see Jesus being that tabernacle. And if you guys even want to go through a more interesting study, which we do not have time to go through this morning, you can go through and look at the tabernacle and how it was built and what it was all about, the process, how it was laid out. 
it's super interesting how much it just keeps pointing to Jesus, keeps pointing to him. Uh, not just him as a person, but also him as that, um, that sacrifice that had to be taking place. Uh, just real quick on some of the things, if you guys have gone through that study with me, you remember the, the coverings, even over the, t- the tabernacle. So they had four different coverings that they would put over the top of it. They'd build the walls up, and they put these coverings over it. And the inner covering was, you know, a cherubib. It was a beautiful design. It was like this royal, had the blues, purples in it. I mean, so when you walked in there, the ceiling looked like that. You know, it was just absolutely beautiful. And that was the inner lane. And then it would go, and I can't remember the order. I, I should have written it down. Um, I believe it was the, the certain goats that they would use that were absolutely a pure white. And so they had this pure white covering that would go over the next one. And then they would have uh, a red covering. They had the dyed ram's skin. Um, and that was all red over it. And then the last one was, they don't know if it was out of seals or out of, uh, um, I can't remember what the other animal was. Basically, they're both unclean animals, though. Really interesting, the tabernacle was covered with unclean animal, an animal that was considered unclean. And it just represents, like, who Jesus Christ was. If you look at that first layer, that royalty that he has. And then, of course, the purity is what's represented from the white, and then that ultimate sacrifice to the red, and then that last one coming in man. You know, being in that unclean flesh, even though he never sinned, he still came as man. And that, I think, guys, there's so many pictures. It's so cool. When you dive into these things, you're like, okay, this was all planned out. God knew what he was doing. He knew what he was representing. Now you go back to the verse 3, and it's talking about, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The tabernacle of God is with men. Right now, we're considered the temple of God, aren't we? Where the Holy Spirit resides, you know, and we yield to his will, hopefully most of the time. And that's the way it is, but... We're going to have Jesus Christ dwelling with us. What a hope. You guys know that with Jehovah's Witness, they only believe that there's going to be 144,000 that are going to actually be with Jesus Christ, that actually get to see their Savior face to face. Now, that's, that's I, I tell them when they come, I'm like, hey, I, I want to talk to you guys. I'd love to go through some scripture with you. I, and I just say the biggest thing I, I, one of the biggest things I have a hard time with is that I will never see, if I join you guys' religion, I will never see my Savior face to face. I will never be able to live with my Savior, the Lamb that was sacrificed for me. I won't be with Him. Because you guys already believe that the 144,000 have already been filled up basically, anyways. And that's what they do. They, they do. They believe that it's pretty much done. What kind of hope is that? Not only that, but they believe in a restored earth. It's like. Do you guys not see how satanic and bummer that is? (laughs) That's so lame. Why would you want that? Why would would you want that? You don't get to be before your Savior and you have to live on a reconditioned earth. It was a cheaper price. (laughs) Right? And there's no ocean. (laughs) It's it's one of those things I don't, don't, it's just the enemy. You know, he gets in there and he just, he messes with us. It's sad that he's deceived those people and I pray for them that they would come out of their deception and, and be unveiled to get to see what they could have in Jesus Christ. And what a cool thing that we're going to have the tabernacle of God being with us. And he will dwell with them or tabernacle with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Look forward to that. Verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Amen. (laughs) That is awesome, isn't it? What is the thing that we're promised as Christians in this life? Starts with an S, ends with an ing. (laughs) Suffering, right? We're promised we're going to suffer. That's what we have to deal with in this world. 
It's not the only thing, but wow, guys, how many of you go through pain every day in some way? Right? I think if you're over 35, usually yes. <laughs> There's some kind of pain in your life, whether it's your husband or, <laughs> or your body or whatever. <laughs> There's something we have to deal with. We have to deal with people every day. We have to deal with jobs. We have to deal with bosses. We have to deal with employees. I mean, there is strife after strife after strife. It's like, when can I get some peace? You have children, pile it on, you know? <laughs> the grief you go through, the sorrow you go through for your children, something that you can't ever experience without having to go through that with them, you know? There are hard times in this world. One of the biggest questions that people will ask is why in the world is there suffering? If there's such a loving God and he's so powerful, why in the world is there suffering and evil in this? It's one of the biggest questions by critics. One of the biggest things that people will walk away from God is because they don't understand, especially if a suffering has entered into their lives. It is a very hard question. It's something I've been dealing with very heavily last month and asking that question. I don't get it. And usually it comes back to what have I done or what have they done? as if it's based off of something, some works or something, and that's why the suffering's piled on. That's not the way it is, guys. Just our, our world is that way. There was a choice made. Sin enters, death enters with it. Death is nasty. Death comes in a lot of different forms. Yes, it's the ending of life. It's the separation of spirit and body. But getting to that process of death, the breaking down that we have to go through in our bodies, the breaking down of everything around us, it's a sorrowful thing. That's why we deal with that. It's not as if God said, yes, I want you to have that. <laughs> he is not cheering for suffering in your life. He's not cheering for pain. That is not God, and don't let the enemy lie to you that that's who he is. And the way I'm going to prove that is through this verse right here. Look, God does not say, I'm going to have suffering. I hope you cry every day that you're in heaven. <laughs> what does it say? He takes everything away, and God, this is God's plan. This is the way God wants it done. This is what God wants for our future. This is what God wants us to live in and abide in, is that he wipes away every tear from our eye. There won't be any more death, no sorrow. Can't wait for that one, guys. <laughs> no crying. There'll be no more pain. It's all gone away. The former is gone. That's what God wants. And so don't be deceived in thinking, wow, this, I have to go through this because he's merited that I need to do it. Now, here's the thing. God is so good so loving, that yes, there is allowance for that. There's going to be suffering here, and now the next process is, is because he wants, to know, he wants you to know more of his character. You guys would not know God's love without suffering. You wouldn't. How in the world did Jesus die without suffering? You could never know his love poured out on you in that way. And not just that, but his love and what he does for you and what he takes you through. You could never know his compassion. Compassion does not exist without suffering. All those times you see that Jesus said that he had compassion on those, well, what was going on with those? They were suffering, weren't they? He had compassion on them. Faithfulness. You guys would not know God's faithfulness without suffering. You would not know, and the biggest one is his strength. We see that when Paul talks about the thorn being taken out of his flesh, right? He says, you didn't do it because in my weakness, you're made strong. We get to see, so he's taken something that's so evil and horrendous and something that we could focus on and say, why did you do this to me, God? Why do I have to go through this? This is not fair. What did I do wrong? Or we could look at it and say, man, I get to know you even more through this circumstance. 
I plead with you, you take it away <laughs> every day because it hurts so bad or it's so much sorrow or it brings me so much grief in my life. But Lord, help me to focus on you and who you are that I might know you better, that when I come to your place, I get to worship you and know the God I've been serving. And we always have those two decisions, don't we? We have two decisions to make. We can either be that person that's going to go and hate God because of the situation we're in or the problems or all of that, or we can look to his faithfulness, his love, his strength, his compassion, his character, and actually look at it. I promise you guys that the devil does not want you to see his character. Because when you see God's character, all you're going to want to do is bow before him and follow him wherever he goes. That's what happens when you get to know your Savior. You can't do anything but fall before him and be like, just take me wherever you want. I absolutely trust you. And you get to see many people do that in the scriptures, right? And we have our times of triumph when we do that. But when those times that are hard times come in your guys' lives, and there's still some to come, remember that that's not who he is. Who he is is in verse 4. That's what he longs for you. But during this time, look to his character and what he's showing you through the suffering that you have to go through. And what a pleasure it is to suffer for him in that persecution and the things that we even have in the future for us, right? It's a good thing. Verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for those th- these words are true and faithful. And again, just saying that these things are new, this is an awesome work that God is doing and what he has planned. And I like that he says, Write these words, because John's probably just at a place like, <laughs> What? This is exciting. These are neat things. And he's like, hey, John, keep writing. Come on. <laughs> we got to get these things written down. But these new things I really like, and I'm going to take this from uh, uh, Gusick. Um, I really liked how he presented this and how he, he showed, you know, all things are going to be made new. That God's perfect state, the perfect state that we get to go into, the, that we're longing for, where our hope resides, this perfect state, this is what Gusick said. He says, God's perfect state is one of redemption and not innocence. Isn't that interesting? It's one of redemption and not innocence. Because, and he goes through, and the context behind this is that the innocence was found in Adam and Eve before they ever sinned, right? And we would look at that and we look at, oh, heaven is going to be like what it was before there was sin that entered in the world. No, it's not, guys. It's not going to be that way. You know why? Because there was innocence in the first. There was that innocence that was there, and so there was this, who is God? discovering God. I want to know him. Can I trust him? Is he faithful? All these questions, and I think that's what led man to falling, is because there wasn't that there. I mean, man's just, we had to go our own way, didn't we? Because we know everything. We're like a teenager. <laughs> Got it all figured out, don't we? <laughs> and we went our own way, and it's, it's a thing that I find interesting. And, you know, we, the cool thing is we get more from Jesus than we ever would have from Abraham or Adam. And be careful in that, that we don't look back and long for something that's already in past, this innocent life. No, we get to live in a time of redemption. We're with the Lamb. See, that wasn't before. That wasn't in the Garden of Eden. A whole different deal, isn't it? So, so much better. So when he says, I'm going to make things new, don't go back and say, yeah, new like the Garden of Eden. No, absolutely new. Completely a whole new deal. What a cool hope to look forward. What an exciting thing to look forward to. And like what I said before in Isaiah 65, verse 17, you know, it talks about the old things not being remembered and they won't even come to mind. 
We're going to be completely focused and get to see what he's doing, and it'll be a fun time one. Verses 6 through 8 here. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We'll stop there. Uh, Josh, can you turn off those fans or whatever they are? We're pretty cold. At least I am. I, I don't know. Maybe you guys are too. Uh, verse 6. Uh, right away when I see that with those words, and he said to me, it is done. What do you guys remember from that too? There should be another part of Scripture that keys right in, right? It is finished, right? On the cross. It is finished. What was finished? That whole process, the new covenant, it brought in, boom, it's done. The new covenant of grace now has entered in. Jesus Christ's blood has sealed that. We're in that. Now it is done means that period is done. It's all done. So this whole new period, what he says, I created everything new. This is the new start of it. So all that stuff is done. It's put away. We get into this new, and then he says that I am the Alpha and the Omega, which means I am the absolute beginning and the absolute end, right? And that is a key verse there. I mean, if you guys ever want to talk to anybody that doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God, you can go back to chapter 1 of Revelation, and it says I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And you can ask them who is that, and most people say, well, that's Jehovah, especially if you're talking to Jehovah's Witness. Okay, I totally agree with you. Yeah, it's Jehovah. And then you can go back to here, to this scripture, and you can ask them who is this. It's Jehovah. Then you can go back to chapter 1, verse 17, and it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who lives and the one who died. And you can say, well, how did God die? It's a great place. Right in the scriptures, guys, it shows he is absolutely God. And this is one of those scriptures. So he said, beginning in the end, I will give of the foundation of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Over and over in the scriptures, we know Jesus and John, he went through and he talked about how he was the water, right? We know in, in Psalms it talks about it. Over and over again, David refers to that. And water was such a good substance. I mean, you guys know if you're thirsting, you're like, give me some water, i got to have some now. Food, yeah, your stomach growls, you can go through a couple days without that, but water, like when you're thirsty, there's nothing more refreshing, right, than just having, just slamming some water. It's so good, and that's why he goes and he talks about what we go through physically, because he's trying to help us understand what this is. So a person that's super thirsty, well, what are we thirsting for? I'm thirsting for that new I'm thirsting like what Paul said. I'd much rather be out of this body <laughs> with him, right? That's where my thirst is, and that's going to be fulfilled. That's what he's saying. You guys thirst, this hope that you're longing for will be filled. It's a promise from him, and it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. Verse 7, he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now, what does this mean by overcoming? What do you think that is, overcome? I mean, overcomes what? Is it the world, the devil, the flesh? You know, what is it that he overcomes? And, and is this part of like, okay, so that means that I need to do certain things. I need to have a good morality, like Christianity is being moral. You know, is that the way that I need to go with this? No. I hope you guys never think that Christianity is morality. It's not. Christianity is a relationship, isn't it? If it's morality, then you guys, we're under the law. <laughs> I mean, if we're just Christians because we're trying to be moral people and good people, hey, you guys, it's, it's in another religion, okay? That, there's plenty of other religions out there. That's the way they do it. Christianity is not that way. It's a Christ follower. It's like I have an actual relationship with my Savior. I'm going that route. That's who I'm with. It's not. And because of that, I am moral. 
I believe, because I follow after his ways. I obey him. So what does it overcome? Well, I would say it's each one of those. I, I think it, it definitely is. You overcome the world, the devil, the flesh. Um, yeah, it, it is. And if you guys want to write down some scriptures, you can look at it in, uh, in John 16, 33. It talks about Jesus said that he's overcome. And how did he overcome? He overcame through obedience to the Father, didn't he? And then uh, Romans 12, 21, uh, it talks about overcoming evil with good. Okay, but where I want to go is First uh, John. Do you guys want to turn over there with me? First John, uh, chapter four. I think First John. I like how John he references it. I mean, he does a great job of it in talking about what it is to overcome. In verse four of chapter four, First John, it says, "You are of God, little children." And have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's talking about false teachers in the verses above, or the spirits, right? And he's saying, because you are in him, right? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. All right, jump over to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So again, it's not about you guys being good and trying to you know, defeat the world or, or whatever, the flesh. That, that's part of falling after Jesus Christ because it's through him. That's why it says, for whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith, right? Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And I was just talking with, this, uh, with the high schoolers last week because we were going over James. And in James, you know, it's the, in chapter 2, uh, it starts going through. Faith without works is dead. And it was actually a big thing that they didn't even know if they were going to put James in the canon of Scripture because they thought it was contrary to the teachings of Paul. And, you know, saying that it, it comes through grace, through faith. And absolutely. And what, what James was just trying to say is, yeah, I completely agree with that, but don't go around saying, I believe something when you really don't. I could believe all day long that my wife loves me. Well, how do I know that? Well, she does special things for me. She puts up with my garbage. She, you know, like there's so many things I could just go through and say, this is why I know my wife loves me. Well, I could have faith all day long. The example I gave to the kids was, you guys could have faith all day that your alarm clock's going to go off in the morning, but if you don't set it, you're kind of foolish, Right? Like, you have to do something to set your alarm so that you know it's going to wake you up in the morning. The same thing goes with our faith. And I was challenging them. Do you just believe in this historical Jesus that died on the cross? Because you know what? The demons do too. It says that in James. I mean, the demons were crying out and saying, what do we have to do with you, son of, of God? Like, they knew who he was. They believed Jesus was God, didn't they? So the verse in James says, well, what makes the, what's different between you and the devil? Or between you and the demons? And it's because of what it says there. It's our faith that he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, you know, he has overcome the world. It's all about our faith. Well, the faith is that I too believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. So why am I still doing them? I've been freed from them. My faith is that he's taken care of it. He nailed every single one of those things to the cross. Who am I to go take them back off of there and, and do it again? And that's where that faith is. Do I really believe that he died for my sins? Because if I do, why am I still sinning? And that comes down to the, you overcome. You overcome the world because you do believe what he's done. And not only that, we have a hope to look forward to, which gives us that endurance to overcome, doesn't it? I mean, I'm so glad that God did not just say, here, I'm just going to give you this part of it. I'm just going to give you this part and say that Jesus, this is what he did for you, and so I want you to walk in that. 
Guys, he was so loving to us that he gave us the future part, too, of what we get to inherit. He didn't have to. I mean, it'd be so hard just to go in that. There's so many times that that hope enters into my life, and it's like, hey, I can keep going. I can keep doing this. I can still keep trusting him. He is faithful. This is what I have to look forward to him, and I know from the past he's already made those things true in my life, right? Now, here's the sad part. If you guys flip back over to Revelation 21. You know, we're going through all these awesome, positive, great things that God's going to be doing, the things that we get to be involved in, and then it comes down to verse 8. It says, but the cowardly. And it's interesting. We'll hit that. We'll go over that word in just a second. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, or the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And Sean talked a little bit about that last week. It's in verse 14 of chapter 20. Um, it's not a good thing. I mean, I don't, I don't think I have to say that to you guys. You do not want to be a part of the lake of fire. That's where death and Hades even got thrown, right? That's an eternal damnation. Everything that was contrary to God is thrown into that lake. Everything that is against his will is thrown in that lake. And that's why he's saying here, you know, that the ones that overcome, they're the ones that chase after Jesus. That's the ones. But the cowardly, and it's not saying those that are little chickens. Just because you didn't go bungee jumping, you're going to hell. That's not what it's saying here, all right? It's saying those of you that did not want anything to do with Jesus Christ, that you were not willing to take on that suffering, you were not willing to go and stand boldly for him. The cowardly that wanted nothing to do with the one that saved them. That's the cowardly. The unbelieving, of course, that don't believe in him, abominable, the ones that are just completely into sin, just disgusting things all the time, those who kill others, the sexually immoral across the board. You can put every sexual sin in there. The liars, right? The idolaters. Idolaters, it also says in the scriptures, is those that covet. So covetousness is idolatry. And so it goes through each one of these things. Now, some people will be like, oh, great, I, I have a problem right here, so I guess I'm going to the lake of fire. You guys remember, this is the person. This is their identification. This is the one that says, this is my will to live this out, these evil things. To mess up in it is not to practice it. To stumble is not the same as to say this is my will over his every day of the week. Be clear on that, because I don't want the enemy coming and saying, look, you're done, just give up. <laughs> you might as well go all in, right? That's not the way it is, but he is very clear on here that there is no part for these people. There is no part for them in this eternal kingdom that he's, he's made. All right. This is the exciting one. I love this part, Okay. 9 through 21, this is where the New Jerusalem, we get to describe this place, and it is unbelievable. And I wish there was more description, but I think that, I don't know if it could even, yeah, it, it would blow our minds, I think. And I, I look forward to the surprise of it and, and what he's going to have for us and just the beauty that's going to be there. And he does reveal a little bit of what it's going to be like, um, but just not the interior or any of that stuff. So let's go ahead and let's read through it, and then we'll talk about it. And then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife, talking about the new Jerusalem. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, 
she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with, the, with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its walls, or its wall, 144 cubits according to the measurement of man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its walls was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like glass, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, and I'm sorry, I'm going to probably butcher some of these stones. I'm not a geologist. And the second was sapphire, and the third, and I actually wrote it down here to try to sound it out, was, uh, uh, what is it, chalcedony? Somebody can say it loud so I can say it right. Chalcedony right? Is it? Okay. I have chalcedony, and then fourth, emerald, and then uh, sardonyx, and then sixth, uh, sardis, and the seventh, chrysolite. It's chrysolite. I I know on some of these, I I wrote it out in the, the, I actually put the pronunciation like cry, so, (laughs) yeah, and then the eighth barrel, and the ninth topaz, and the tenth, uh, chrysoprase, and the eleventh, uh, what is that, uh, jacinth, or jacinth, and the 12th amethyst. All right, Whew. I'll have to talk about them again, though. All right, the 12 gates were the 12 pearls, which individually, individual gate was of one pearl, and the streets of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. All right, there is a lot here. This is awesome what he has, and he's describing to us in, in this new Jerusalem. He has these, I mean, first how it's set up. You have the gates that are around it, right? And you have the 12 gates, and there's three on each side. Now, some people say this could be a pyramid. Uh, most people would agree that it's probably a cube, okay? So we have three gates on each side. And then each one of the gates is a pearl that covers it up, which square pearl, round pearl, I don't know. Some of the you know, pictures have this little round pearl or whatever there. Um, the biggest thing and I, uh, is, is the size of this steel, and some people say, well, this is just a spiritual representation. This is something that we can identify as something that's spiritually going to happen in our lives and what we have to look forward to. The thing that would, I would say I don't agree with that is because it talks about in verse 17 that these are the, according to the measurements of a man. Okay, well, why is that? Why would he put that detail in there? Well, it's a measurement of man, so man can understand actually how big this thing is. So it's, I believe it's absolutely real. Now, those furlongs that it talks about, that's about, depending on who you talk to, it's 1,400 to 1,500 miles. So we'll say 1,400 miles because it's a lot of the measurements I have off of this. 1,400 miles wide, high, deep, right? That cube, it's huge. If you guys have, you guys know Rubik's Cube, right? Everybody had seen one of those? If you put those on like a regular-sized globe, it basically would cover up about the middle of the United States kind of deal, and that's, it kind of looks small according to the globe. But then you start unpacking it, and you really get to figure out what this, how big this is, this new Jerusalem. And I find it interesting that don't be mistaken that the new Jerusalem is the new earth. Because some people think that we just have this new Jerusalem and that's where we're going to reside. Remember that God has also created a new heavens and a new earth. 
that this is a whole other thing that's part of this too, that he's created, a new Jerusalem. So this is all part of the same deal. I cannot wait. I was just telling my kids they watched Avatar last night. You know, you guys remember when you first watched that show, you're like, wow, it's so creative, like the floating mountains, how everything's glowing, the crazy animals in there. Uh, I, I hope he shows up and does something awesome like that. This completely this blows our mind. Like, we could care less about a sea because we have, like, this floating water, you know, or <laughs> whatever it's going to be. It's going to be exciting. I mean, we could have, oh, if he's saying the new heavens, just think we could have crazy moons and, and different things that are whole. We could have a planet we could see that would have all these beautiful colors in it. I don't know. I mean, God is so creative. Look what he already designed once, and that was just practice. You know, like he's going he's gonna to show up and do something really cool for this next one. And then we have this new Jerusalem that's going to be there. And he goes through and he talks. So now with the size of this thing, I just want to focus on the size just for a little bit. So one of the measurements that's been taken is, is if you looked at this cube and you took it apart, let's say that each floor has a thousand foot ceilings in it. Okay. So each floor has a thousand foot. Now in LA, that one tower that's down there, the circular one, uh, that you see on like on Independence Day where they blow it up first with everybody on top of there. All right, that building is about, it's just right at just over th- the 1,000 feet, okay? So that's 1,000 feet. That would be each ceiling. If you had that, you would have 7,800 floors, 1,000 feet high. Now, that's, that's a little bit less than the actual if you had a floor that was just a, a plain level. So we're counting for thick floors too, okay? So 7,800 7, floors. Now, take these floors... And if we lay them out, let's say we take each square footage or square mile of these floors, okay, and you separate them all, all 7,800 of them, you would be able to cover 89 earths. 89 earths you would be able to cover with that square mileage. Okay, that's 1,000 foot ceilings. Now, I don't know if it's going to be, it's not, I don't have no idea how it's going to be set up on the inside. It could be have one ceiling that's a mile high and then other little apartment type things. I hope there's no apartments. Apartments <laughs> suck. <laughs> but who knows what it's going to be like. But just in this, just to get the size of it, that's what it's looking at. Now, somebody else said, okay, well, let's, let's say that maybe there's 4 billion uh, saints that end up there. If you had 4 billion people in this place, you would have 2,800 acres per person not going to be cramped, okay? It's not going to be cramped. So a good question to ask is, then why do I spend so much time investing in the land down here <laughs> and the stuff down here when this is what we have to look forward to? I think it's a good reminder for us that, guys, this is not our home. Our home is so much better than this. And that's just talking about the size, the beauty that's going to be there. So if you guys want to get on your phones, okay, I encourage you, if you guys have a phone, and I didn't have anything to put up here because the colors just aren't very good when you put them up there, but if you uh, uh, look up, if you Google New Jerusalem stones, and then you go to images, you're going to see the different stones that are there. And now I was surprised, as I was going through, I wasn't even thinking, but there's a jasper stone. Jasper's like a red, okay? In Israel, I mean, it can be very different, uh, different colors, but in Israel, it, most time it was a red color. Okay, it was like a frosty red. And so when it talks about this light that's coming out in verse 11, having the glory of God, her light was like the most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. So you're just like this red, amazing, beaming light. Like we look at the sun, that's kind of like a yellow light that you can't even look at. Well, this is a, a beautiful red, like shiny crystal that's coming out before. Um, anyways, I was looking at these stones, and there's this massive jasper stone. There's a guy standing next to it, and it would have been as high as the ceiling. And I'm like, 
well, that's a huge jasper stone. And then I started thinking, wait a minute, the whole foundation, like 15 by 1,500 miles or 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles is going to be a jasper stone, if that's how it's laid out. If they're layered on top of each other, these stones, or some people have designed it to where each gate, basically that whole foundation right there is that stone, so it coincides. I don't know about that, though, because I was thinking, wait, wait, wait. Does this line up with the, the chess piece that the high priest wore? Are all these the same stones that each nation had? It doesn't. I know. I was like, no. I don't know why. But it's interesting because the 12 tribes are written on the gates. They're not written on the foundation. The ones that are written on the foundation are the apostles. And so it doesn't coincide there. I don't know what the meaning. I, didn't gonna, I wasn't going to go that deep into it. Kind of, Yeah, we didn't go there. So... Looking at each one of these, though, each one of these stones, in verse 12, it says, And she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates, and the names were written on them of the 12 tribes. In verse 13, three gates on the east. It goes through, tells where all those gates are. And then the wall of the city had 12 foundations. On them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. What a privilege those guys have. Eternally written on the foundations. And I find it interesting, I always look at why were the uh, 12 tribes the gates and then the apostles the foundation. It would seem that it would be the reverse, wouldn't it? Because all the oracles of God were given to who? Israel, right? So I would look at that and think that's where the foundation is. But instead it isn't. It's the foundation is built on the apostles. And then the gates, the entering in is through the 12 tribes. Interesting. I don't know why. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> we could speculate, speculate all day long. It's just not it's, not, it's it's God's way of doing things. It's how he wanted them to be laid out. And I'm running out of time, so we're going to have to fly next. All right, that's the, that's the different stones. And if you guys have that on your app, look at those different beautiful colors. It's basically a whole rainbow of colors that this is going to be. And then you have the gold that looks like glass, which if you guys have ever seen shiny gold, it's pretty cool. I mean, it shines up really nice. But just think all that, just that unbelievable beauty is what it's going to be about. And we get excited about like Taj Mahal or uh, Machu Picchu or, you know, these other things that man has designed and you're looking at you're like, oh, that's nothing. That's ugly compared to what he has set up for us. All right, the last little part, verses 22 through 27. But I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who, have, who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring her, their glory and honor into it. Which is interesting, because that's that whole thing that the New Jerusalem is not the new earth. So it kind of looks like it's talking about these, there's going to be these kings, kingdoms, and they're going to bring their glory into it. Now some people say, well, that means the old earth, those kings that were saved during that time, they're going to be bringing their glory into it. But I don't know. I mean, it's interesting how it puts it there, and it's talking about the present time. Uh, the Greek there is very much talking about all in the same amount of time, not referring to an old. And so, um, the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it, and its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. Never shut, guys. Never closed. 26. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, but there shall be by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the, book, in the Lamb's book of life. And so I think what we can go to is, this is a serious deal. This is where our hope lies. This is what gets us through those hard times. This is who our God is. Look what he has for us. How exciting. Praise God that you know, it's not just a, a rerun. 
It's a whole new thing that we got to be involved in in eternity. So I would say these, these brief years that we live on this earth, shouldn't they matter everything to us in our preparation to live eternally with our Savior and to bring as many people as we can to tell them about the gospel so that they turn as well? And if there's anybody here that would love to be a part of this, and I'm not saying you come to Jesus because you got a big old winning at the end. It's not like a lotto ticket, guys. <laughs> you come to him as a sinner, knowing that you absolutely don't deserve any part of this. Not one little single thing of this. But because he is a redeemer, and because of his work that he's done for you, you come to him. And you have a hope to look forward to. You don't have a burning lake to look forward to. And we got to remember that when we're telling people, guys, that's where their destination lies. So, hey, to be embarrassed a little bit to talk about Jesus, let's do it. Maybe even be cussed out, you know. You know it, might, it might be worth it. <laughs> I mean, we got we to take into account, and I think that's why he put this in there, is we got to remember what's in the end. What do we have to look forward to? Denny, if the worship team wants to come on up, we'll go ahead and close out. I want to encourage you guys, you know, am I written in the Lamb's Book of Life? because that's the only ones that get to go into this place. Am I, am I living? Is my faith there, this faith that he talks about, those that have overcome? Is, is that a real deal, or have I been kidding myself and just playing a game my whole life? And this is one of those times that I believe that the Lord brings us to Scripture like this because he wants to reassure us of what our hope lies in, those of us that absolutely know we're in the book of life, and then those that don't know need to get before him and say, all right, Lord, I'm ready. I've been putting you off all these years. I'm ready to be yours. I'm ready to submit my will to you. I'm ready to admit that I am messed up and I got a lot of sin in my life that needs to be taken care of and for good. And it's one of those awesome places that, guys, he pours out his mercy over and over in the scriptures, doesn't he? And just bringing us back to him and realizing who he is. And then we have that choice. Is it worth it? I think it is. (laughs) Going through this, I'm like, yeah, guys, hey, if you don't think it's worth it, I don't know what you're involved in down here. It is not that good. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> so that we get refocused this morning and just remembering, and as we take this last song to worship, guys, just it's exciting. Think about it. We get this hope to look forward. We get this place. We get to worship him in the future. Like there is no need for a sun there. Come on, he's, he's the light. We get to see everything around us because of him. What a cool thing. And so I ask that you guys just praise him this morning and put him back in his rightful place and remember during this week that, yes, We have this eternal hope to look forward to. Okay, Lord, what work do you want me to be doing? Lord, we love you, and we thank you so much for your scriptures that just remind us and the blessing that you pour out on our lives. It's astounding, Lord, what you have for us. And you didn't need to share any of this with us, and and you did because you you love us as children. You say that right there, that you're going to be our God, and we will be not just these people, but we're going to be your sons and daughters. How exciting is that, Lord? I mean, we're so undeserving in that. Lord, I pray that anybody that does not know you this morning or maybe has just been playing a game of wishy-washy, been riding that fence, Lord, that they would give their lives over to you. And they would say, this is not worth it anymore. In comparison of what I can have in you, and not just that it's a what I get out of you, but because I am saved in you and because I am ready to lay and cast everything down before you and submit to you. I pray that they would just give that all to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, just speak to them so strongly. They can't get away from it. And maybe right now they do, but don't let them sleep tonight. Don't let them sleep. Just have them keep going over these scriptures and over the other things that you've brought them through, I'm sure, already. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that we have what we have right now, the blessings you give us, Lord. I pray for those that are suffering right now and going through very hard times in their lives, Lord. I pray that they would look to you and not become bitter against you. 
that they would just learn and, and get to see how awesome you are in your character. And they'd be able to give compassion to others and share with others how awesome you are, Lord. And just remind them that they have this glorious, eternal hope to look forward to and this inheritance that you have, this beautiful bride, Lord. We love you so much and just pray these things in your name. Amen.